Song number 214, Brother Jeff has announced, and we'll use that as a song of encouragement a bit later in the service this morning. As always, we're so thankful for each and every person in attendance today, our visitors, our membership alike. So happy that God has allowed each of us the privilege and high honor of assembling in this way on this first day of the week to worship in that explicit and directed way spoken of clearly in the New Testament. Today, as you probably noted in the bulletin, the title of the lesson is the same one. It's on the wall to my left, Worthy is the Lamb. And as we know in our reading through the Scriptures this year, we've come to the very last book in all the Bible, the book of Revelation. And as we use a section out of the midst of that book for the lesson in terms of the text this morning, Worthy is the Lamb is a phrase and an anthem that finds itself appearing in that book. And I'd invite you for the next few minutes to reflect with me on a lesson that we might begin like this. We know so well that the central figure in all of the Word of God is in fact Jesus the Christ. As powerfully and as wonderfully as the Old Testament looked forward to His coming in the flesh, the New Testament not only affirms that He came, but it also sets before us the fact He's coming again. He's coming back someday not to set foot on this planet, but rather to, in fact, gather home all of those that are His faithful. This old planet will be destroyed, as will, of course, as the physical universe. As you'll notice in some of those brief remarks, that centrality of Jesus and the Word of God reminds us a little bit about the way that we've seen phrases. How often in the last few weeks have you seen phrases like, Jesus is the reason for the season? I've lost track of how many times I've seen that on marquees or heard it exclaimed in one way or another. Today, why don't you and I use Revelation as an appreciation and a revisiting and reflection about Jesus, not just as the reason for this season, but the reason for all proper seasons and the reason for all proper approach to God. You'll notice that it all begins in Genesis 1, as you and I think about in the opening chapter, really in the entirety of the Bible, it says, there that God, of course, made the heavens and the earth, and that word God is plural. Jesus, the one you and I recognize as the Son, was present and working very much in that creation. As we come later in the Old Testament, in Exodus 13, we again see the imprints of Jesus Himself as that great light every night, watching so carefully and faithfully over the children of Israel. Later in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 3, when those three Hebrew children were cast into that den, into that fiery furnace, we remember that there was another one seen, one likened to the Son of Man. Maybe as you and I look at all of those instances, it brings us so readily to the New Testament. For that one did then take the form of flesh himself, born under the Virgin Mary. This season of the year, many choose to look with careful celebration on the events of that moment. However, it wasn't just that he was born. He proceeded to live for several years thereafter, setting before mankind the ideal example in every way. Finally, of course, you and I know so well that life came to an end in a very cruel and brutal way as humanity crucified him on a cross. As you and I come to Revelation, look at the stanza that's left before us. What a book of victory! What a triumph for those that tie on to this Christ, to this one who is that Son of God, and who will with faithfulness live throughout the days of their life. What about worthy is the Lamb? 
you might notice in the context of that title, that word lamb. Why don't we at least think a little bit about that, for that explicit phrase is found more than once in the Revelation. Worthy is the lamb. I mentioned earlier Jesus, the reason for the season, at least a slogan that you and I so often may well hear, but look at some thoughts that seemingly would so readily come from the page to be an encouragement to you and to me. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Matt read that a moment ago, the explicit phraseology of of Revelation 5.12, and that is, and again, the only time it's found. When you and I give thought to the nature of the lamb, We well remember that even in the days of the Exodus, a lamb was commanded. Perhaps other animals could have been, but primarily it was the reference to a lamb on that Passover occasion. As that lamb was taken on a certain day of the month and then slaughtered again on the 14th day of that month. That, of course, looked down the stream of time to the lamb that was slain at Calvary. As you give thought to that lamb, It immediately reminds us of other passages in the Bible in which a sheep, a lamb if you please, is described. Consider the first three verses of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. The mere thought about the lamb resting in peaceful slumber a place of security, protection, and provision, an opportunity that you and I know well is supposed to be appreciated in the life of Christianity. Look furthermore with me. We know that Jesus Himself is frequently referred to as a lamb. Not just any lamb, but the lamb. Wasn't it Isaiah 53, in which there was, of course, in the Old Testament figure of that ancient era, There was one described as he himself as a lamb dumb before his shears would be slaughtered. And that was the very passage the Ethiopian nobleman was reading in the days of Acts chapter 8. And Philip explained to him that referred to Christ. In Acts 8.35, starting at that very passage, he preached to him Jesus, the lamb. No wonder John the Immerser in John 1.29 could say, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Not just any lamb, not just a lamb, the Lamb of God. That lamb, of course, brings us to Peter's observation in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19. There, as Peter made statement that you were not redeemed with gold and silver and other corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ, who as a lamb without splatter or blemish, of course, made approach to God on your behalf and mine. The Lamb. One by one, as all those references to the Lamb brings us near the bottom of that slide, it's time to cast a clear spotlight on the Revelation. How is this concept of the Lamb so useful, impressive, and needful in the book of Revelation? Twenty-seven times in the book of Revelation the word Lamb appears. Twenty-seven times in twenty-two chapters. And interestingly enough, all but one of them refer to Jesus. Twenty-six times then in this book he is referred to not by name Jesus, not by name Son of God, but rather as the Lamb. And surely that was very meaningful for those who first received that book in the ancient days of long ago. 
And as you and I have just studied, it's very meaningful to you and to me as well. This concept of the Lamb takes us from chapter 5, verse 6, the first of those 26 references, all the way to the closing chapter in Revelation 22, 3 is the last one. All of those references to the Lamb provides us with an opportunity to use the rest of our lesson this morning to study what are the ways, at least some of the ways, that Lamb is referenced and what ways did it, was it used as a message for them? And what about for you and for me today? The first observation is perhaps the clearest one. In the sense that we've mentioned it in prayer already this morning, this lamb is one that you and I can picture and portray in the following way. In chapter number 5 of the Revelation, a scenario, when remember John was told what you see right in a book. Revelation is arguably the most visual of all the books in the Bible. It is best as you read it to try and picture with the mental capability of visualization, what did John see? Here John says, I saw the lion, L-I-O-N of the tribe of Judah, a ferocious and powerful creature, one who is greatly able to do that which is his will. But then in the very next verse, that lion became a lamb, the Lamb of God. Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6. As John saw that, notice he wrote that down, and you'll notice at the very bottom left of that picture is a scroll that reminds us of the very scenario, the scene in which we see this first appearing. The one sitting on the throne had a scroll in his hand, but it was sealed seven times, and nobody in heaven or earth to that point was able or worthy to loose it and to tell what its contents were. It was completely concealed and hidden, but thankfully the lion, which became the lamb, was worthy to open the seals and worthy to reveal what were the contents of that book. It is in that context then that we appreciate that scene and that scenario, and of course the image at the left is supposed to represent Jesus himself. Now please keep in mind, this is some artist's painting. It would seem to me the Lord never had hair that long, but it's just supposed to be a scenario or a scene reminding us about the features of the lion, the lamb, representing as they had that scroll, and of course Jesus as the Lamb of God. As all of that comes before us, you'll notice something began to happen. Something began to take place as this scenario unfolds before us. Again, Matt read it just a moment ago in verses 11 and following of Revelation 5. As the Lamb took that scroll and made preparation to release it and unloose the contents thereof, we notice that those in heaven proceeded with great worthiness to make reflection to that lamb. Worthy is the lamb. As you and I think about that degree of worthiness this morning, let's use those pictures perhaps to assist us as we now proceed to describe what it was that John saw and these statements that he made in the Revelation. First, worthy is the lamb that was slain. This lamb was such that its life was taken from it. This lamb was such that it came to no longer be in the flesh. This lamb was slain. When you notice the language in which 
that comes before us, might we again give thought to the sweetness that's so often presented relative to this present holiday season, the Christmas season. There are those who celebrate the birth of our Master. And of course, what a great event that was. But maybe as you and I use the teaching of Revelation as well as the other New Testament books, that first statement is a fair one to make. The birth of Christ at Calvary would mean nothing were it not for His ultimate death. I said that wrong. His birth at Bethlehem would have meant nothing were it not, of course, for the ultimate life and death that He died. The reason for the season extends far beyond just a day or two in December, doesn't it? His life and His death is that way by which in the shedding of His blood any and all who have the desire and the obedient character to do so can be made right. Look at some of those verses I've asked you to consider. Wasn't it again John who, in greatness and also in tremendous decisiveness, said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. From the time of creation until those events of John chapter 1, you and I know over 4,000 years of human history had passed. Not yet till that time had there been a way for sins to be forgiven. Not yet had there been a full, entire, and complete way for sins to be taken away. And there in the Lamb, the one that was Jesus, that means was now going to become possible. When you and I give thought to those events, no wonder then in Revelation explicitly, in Revelation 7, 9, salvation belongeth to Him. Salvation comes through Jesus and there is no other way. Wasn't it true in Acts 4.12 that on that occasion Peter made statements like this, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The human family has often concocted schemes whereby salvation is found in any number of ways, but it is not nor ever was it so. The Lamb is the one and only way to be right with God. For those reasons, Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's almost as though when we come to the very last book in the Bible, one final time, admittedly somewhat picturesque and vividly, Jesus is held up in tremendous drama to the point that we're led to appreciate Him even in remarkable ways to be sure. You'll notice... In Revelation 13, 8, we have another statement about this greatness of salvation and redemption that comes through Jesus. These suffering saints to whom Revelation was written, these people who practically in many cases had their lives taken from them, they were reminded that there was one who died for you and you need to live faithfully to Him. That adds a new thought profound at that, doesn't it? Jesus died on a cross for me, and the least I can do to live faithfully to Him. The last statement you'll notice there brings us to recognize that sweet, sweet song referenced in Revelation 15, the song of Moses and the Lamb. We find throughout this book a vivid description, a drama, if you please, that unfolds. We see in chapter number 6 individuals who, in fact, were beheaded for the cause of Christ. Simply because they were Christians, their head was stricken from their body. 
However, when we arrive at chapter number 15, we see them standing on a sea of glass, celebrating and triumphantly ready to enter into the glorious climbs of heaven. And as they do, they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. Only two stanzas. Moses was, of course, the one through whom God provided deliverance from Egypt. And as they crossed the Red Sea, the deliverance from those pursuing Egyptian overlords. However, the greatest is in, is in the second stanza. The song of Moses and who else? The Lamb. You and I today have been led in songs in which we've lifted high the banner of Christ as well. Not only should we appreciate the slain and the blood, Revelation has something else to bring before us to think so many times about the character and the nature of this Lamb. Back to verse 12 of Revelation 5. Worthy is the Lamb. Significant, isn't it, that that word worthy begins that verse and begins in many ways the thought of what we see in terms of what was proclaimed? Worthy is the Lamb. Jesus, may I suggest, shouldn't just be honored one day a year or even just a week or two. He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and here He is de described in this picture as constantly worthy. Remember that picture we looked at a moment ago. They were falling one by one before Him, worshiping the Lamb. The text says they cast their crowns on, on the ground or on the floor before Him. Can you imagine the worthiness surrounding that scene? These living creatures, these others who were inhabitants of the great nature of heaven, and one by one they cast their crowns. When the Lamb takes those, that book and is prepared to loose its seals, He was worthy. You'll notice the sevenfold appreciation of the way verse number 12 ends. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and honor and glory and power and blessing. As all of those identifications are set before us, notice at the bottom a uniqueness is attached to Him. He was the only one in heaven, in earth, beneath the earth, above the earth, anywhere else that was worthy to open the seals of that book. That's a matter that you and I must never forget. John was prepared to weep because no one to that point could loose it. But then he was told, don't cry, don't weep, because the lion, that lamb, is worthy to loose the seals and open the book. Notice that some additional things could be said about that. Perhaps as you and I begin this slide, chapter number 6 begins as the lamb looses those seals. Ultimately, there's seven of them to be loosed. It will, in fact, be a drama unfolded from chapter 6, verse 1, all the way to the verses following Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Seven seals will be loosed. At the top of that slide, why don't we then consider it like this? As often as perhaps this season is utilized to celebrate the nature of the birth of Christ, notice that babe not only was born, but he grew into a man. He grew, of course, into the one who set forward and revealed the very will of God, John 12, 49. May you and I then honor Him not just as a baby, but as the one, the man who delivered as the Son of God the greatness of God's will. Do you and I follow Him then daily? Do we honor Him always? One last consideration then is drawn from the book of Revelation itself. 
It really is a rather remarkable finale in some ways to the book of Revelation. In Revelation 19, verses 6 and following, there is a reference made to a marriage supper. You and I remember in that first century era, what a great time of consideration. When a man and a woman married, there was often a very powerful and very lovely time of celebration. Jesus used that as the backdrop, remember, in Matthew 25 for teaching about being ready and prepared. However, in this scenario, notice what else is described. Might we ask, on this occasion, who is the bride and who is the groom? Jesus, we are told, of course, is the bridegroom. But that bride is one prepared for Him, and she was adorned and so prettily prepared by virtue of righteousness. Again, Revelation 19. However, she was then admitted into that occasion of sweet celebration in that marriage feast. You and I, my friend, the church is His bride. You and I are the ones who will be utterly invited to come into that sweet time of celebration. No wonder we must be adorned with the righteousness of the saints. If you and I aren't adorned that way today, it's time to make some changes at once. When you give thought to this marriage supper, notice the third point is then one that so easily can be bypassed, isn't it? The image and a picture of this babe born in Bethlehem, swaddling clothes and all the pristine beauty of that scene. But you'll notice in Revelation, specifically you'll notice in Revelation 6 and 7, this lamb is a lamb of wrath. To many that seems a strange thing, doesn't it? They wish not to look upon this lamb as possessing wrath or as one who will exhibit it. And yet, that is such a vital part of the revelation. I would invite you to notice carefully in Revelation 6, verses 16 and 17, the same one that was just referred to as the lamb in the previous chapter is now described like this. Verses 16 and 17, And, to the mountain, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us! And hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? You mightn't have noticed it mentioned the wrath of the Lamb. During this season, so many give sweet disposition to just how innocent and meek and lowly a lamb can be. And there's no question that it often is. But Revelation puts the other side to that coin. A constant and full reminder, the lamb, the lamb is one of wrath as well. Did you notice who will be the recipient of that wrath in those two verses? Again, it said, these in that particular passage, the great day of His wrath has come. Who shall be able to stand? As that sixth seal was loosed, the wrath of the Lamb was poured out on all of those unprepared and unready. Those who were not wearing the seal of God and were not accompanied and adorned with His garments. The question again for all of us, what about your life today and mine? I hope that this season, this particular study in Revelation will continue to remind us, Jesus, not just the reason for Christmas... He's the reason and the only hope we have of being right eternally and to avoid the wrath that we've just seen. As you come near the bottom of that slide, you'll notice that that statement of Revelation 
brings us again to mention the lamb in relation to both brimstone and fire. You and I know well where that's headed. It is a description of that final and eternal separation in which it will be the Lamb who on that occasion of judgment will make decree of eternal separation for those who have not been washed in His blood, for those who are not Christians, for those that are not ready to meet Him. Talk about unpreparation and the difficulty that comes with it. Revelation chapter 12 mentions this Lamb in yet another context. Here again, as an ongoing, daily, and powerful guide that can be of tremendous blessing to you and to me. Let us describe it briefly like this. Revelation 12 gives us a description about a great dragon, one who is so powerful and mighty and who is out in turn to destroy the greatness and the work of God. However, we notice that he was defeated in a war. And as he was cast out of heaven, he nonetheless deceived the whole world. This one we now read in verse 11 is presented like this. There is a three-pronged attack to defeating this devil. What is it? Revelation 12, 11 tells us. Let us revisit that and notice how the Lamb enters into it. And they overcame him. Notice the word they has reference to those who were eventually saved, those who were not succumbed and did not come into the army, if you please, of the devil. They overcame him. The word him refers to the devil. By the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. That three-pronged attack, notice, hinged on this. Namely, it was the sacrificial blood that Jesus offered, this same lamb. Secondly, the faithfulness of His Word. Thirdly, full and total dedication to Him. Notice, they trusted not their lives to the death. They didn't elevate their own fleshly interests above the truth of the Lord. In all those things, the fullness of that attack is perhaps seen in one final way. Revelation 14, verses 4 and following. You and I are told once and for all, follow the Lamb whithersoever He goes. We might ask it this way today, where is that Lamb today? We know He is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus, when He ascended unto heaven in Acts chapter 1, He is now reigning at the right hand of God. And hence, if we follow that Lamb then we'll end up where He now is. We too can one day be in heaven with Him. As you and I have looked at those four points so far, there is only one that remains. The blessings that come as we see this Lamb in the book of Revelation. You notice that in Revelation 21 and 22, this Lamb is presented in these very positive, very remarkable, very encouraging and comfortable ways. May I suggest, Revelation 21, 22, this lamb is described as being forever the temple of God. Those people in the Old Testament, we well remember the time came after the days of the tabernacle that Solomon had a temple constructed. It was the centerpiece of what Israel forever was to be. We remember in the wilderness that they encamped around that tabernacle. It was the very center of their existence as you and I come into the New Testament, we notice the Lamb forever in heaven will be the temple. We'll be able to surround Him, be with Him, speak with Him, listen to Him, sing with Him, watch Him, 
we'll be able to be with the very one who died for us forevermore. There'll no longer be any need for a physical building somewhere to go to to worship. We'll be in the very presence of the Lamb. Secondly, you'll notice in Revelation 21, 23, He forever is described as the light. There's no need for either the sun or the moon in heaven. All the light will be provided by the sun, S-O-N, this Lamb. Isn't it fascinating how so often in the Bible the light is used to describe association of that which is godly. Here, that association is full and complete. Thirdly, you may notice that lamb is forever described in Revelation 22 as the source of a pure river of water of life. Imagine that you were a first century Christian under the thumb of Roman persecution because you were a Christian. And they wouldn't give you any water to drink and you had to go for days on end with little, if any, clean, fresh water at all. And yet you could read in a book about a place that even if your life here was taken from you, you could go to a place where there was a constant, refreshing stream of water of life. That's what the meaning of the book of Revelation was for those first century people. I realize that with the abundance of fresh, clean water that you and I have, maybe that aspect isn't as easily emphasized to us. But the thought nonetheless is therein for our consideration, isn't it? Jesus is residing currently in a place where there is a non-ending source of fresh, proverbial clean water. Finally, the curse will be no more because of the Lamb. That curse has reference to death. We know in Revelation 22 that there is the statement that that curse will be gone completely. Today, as you and I think about the sentence of physical death, we know that if the Lord delays His coming, that's coming to all of us. But we know that we look with such excitement to a place where once admission therein is understood, and there never more will be any kind of death. Remember, the second death you and I are protected from. The second death is being cast into hell. And for those that are faithful Christians, that will not be our lot. That kind of blessing that you and I see in all of them allows us to close the lesson and do so with these very brief summary statements. This morning, we've used the book of Revelation freely and rather powerfully to make reference to the Lamb. And we find in this book time and again the lamb is used as a key idea, reminding us of what was sacrificed for us, but what is provided to us daily. And so it is. As you look at that, he is worthy. Worthy is the lamb. That worthiness hinges on the fact of our Savior, the slain, the character of his blood. It hinges on the understanding of the only one through whom you and I can enjoy victory over the devil the grandeur of those blessings that we appreciate daily, and, of course, those that we look forward to forevermore. It is with that in mind. The bottom statement closes the revelation and closes our lesson as well. It is true, then, if we follow that Lamb, whithersoever He goes, even through the crucible of difficulty, we shall emerge and finally be able to be blessed where He now is. Worthy is the Lamb. May I say, if you're not a faithful Christian this morning, at this point you couldn't honestly say He's worthy or at least you haven't done anything about it. 
if you have never rendered initial obedience, why not today? The 21st day of December, 2014. What a grand day of complete change for you. You then could turn your life over in submission to the Lamb. If you have become a Christian by way of, of course, your belief and repentance and confession and baptism, but you haven't been faithful to the Lamb, you have not followed Him wherever He's gone, you've taken a path of your own, you've walked on tangents, and of course that's led you to nowhere good. Why not come back to Him? Remember, He has the only attack to defeat the devil. If you'd like to come to the Lamb this morning, asking for prayers, beseeching Him for forgiveness, we'd be honored to assist you in those ways. If we could help you today, why not do it? Jeff has chosen this song of encouragement. This is a convenient time. Why not come now, if you would, while together we stand and sing?